the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. The fear was there. He had done implanted that so deep that I would, I mean, none of us would ever be normal again. We would never have any kind of sense of normal life of not being in fear and not constantly looking and wondering and thinking, you know, second guessing. Um, there's always. Even 24 years later, there's still fear. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And I just got back from a two-week-long European vacation. It was amazing, but I have to admit, I am so jet-lagged. So we're just going to get right into our episode, but... First, um, if you guys have been listening, which I hope that you have, you know that we're doing a little bit of a competition giveaway type thing with our uh, podcast reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you go give us a five-star review, we are giving away free first-degree merch. So remember to leave your Instagram handle at the end of your review, and we will pick two a week every week until we decide to stop. But it's going amazing. So check it out. And uh, Billy, what day is it? So Jack... It's September 11th, so the only day that we are going to talk about, as far as the day goes, is the remembrance for September 11th. And there are actually a lot of um, uh, uh, different days. Um, It's Remember Freedom Day, it's Patriot Day, it's National Emergency Responders Day, and it's National Day of Service and Remembrance Day. Billy and I are New Yorkers, and I was in ninth grade when September 11 happened, and my mom was there in Building 1 at 10 a.m. the previous day, and a bunch of people who went to high school lost parents. I mean, September 11, no one should ever forget it. Yeah, and uh, I had, that was the only time that I, had, I was working in Nyack, New York. It was the only time I ever slept over at, uh, at work, and I woke up. Somebody came in, said somebody... Um, flew a plane into the towers after the first tower fell um I, I started driving home and saw the second saw the smoke from the second tower from the nyack bridge and then it took seven hours to get home because they kept on closing all the bridges and then i eventually just left my car in connecticut and took the uh took the ferry back mm-hmm. but it was and people don't understand that it, it, it particularly in new york it wasn't like that was just it no Everybody thought more stuff was coming. Everybody thought like the sky was black. Yeah, yeah. We, I was all the way out east on Long Island, and we were getting burnt pieces of paper from yeah. from the you know Boomer Esiason Foundation, like which was on their like you know hundredth floor or something. You know what I mean? It's just insane how big it was for us. Yeah, and uh, obviously, it's something that you know. We should, like you said, never forget. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. Today's episode takes us to Jackson, Mississippi. It is the capital of Mississippi, which was named after General Andrew Jackson. On October 9th, 1995, Mariah Carey's Fantasy was the top song on Billboard charts. And the movies in the theater was two movies that are actually very uh, close to my heart and actually very much connected. They could be considered sequels, sequels to each other. Oh, certainly. Seven. And Toy Story. Which kind of embody Billy rather perfectly. <laughs> they pretty much are, yeah. So what an, another thing that Jackson, Mississippi is known for, it is known for the Mississippi State Fair. It's a huge, massive fair. It covers hundreds and hundreds of acres of 
ground. And um, it's a fair that 14-year-old Crystal, who is our first degree connection today, and her mother, Linda Price, and the rest of their family attended every single year. It was a yearly tradition. And this year, there would be a chance encounter that would change the course of their lives forever. Um, We have a fair in Jackson, which is the Mississippi State Fair. And my mama always went. She loved, we, it's a family tradition um, as far back as I can remember that we would always go on the first Wednesday of the opening night of of the fair and walk around. I mean, I'm not talking one person. I'm talking about literally our whole family, you know, immediate family would go. So the group who was there on that day included Crystal, her mother, Linda, and then Linda's sister, Kathy Carroll, and Kathy's husband and son. Linda Price was 34 years old, and she was beautiful, slim, and had long red hair. The group arrived to the fair between 6.30 and 7.30, and they went to the beer tent, sat at a table, and started drinking and enjoying the band that was playing. Sounds like my perfect night. And, of course, my mama went. She had went into um, a... Alcohol, I guess a beverage tent where they serve alcoholic beverages and play music. And um, he came up to her, and from there is where it all started. So Kathy, Linda's sister, gets up to go dance with her husband, and Linda's alone at the table. 14-year-old Crystal just went off to go play with some kids, and a guy walks by the table, and he just walks right up to Linda, grabs Linda's hair and says, that's the prettiest red hair I ever saw. And when Linda's sister, Kathy, gets back from dancing and returns to the table, there's this good-looking 30-something guy with blue eyes sitting there with Linda. And Linda introduces her to him and says, his name is Glenn. Glenn gets up and walks away. And Linda asks Kathy sort of over and over again, ain't he real good-looking? She was smitten immediately. And Linda and Glenn, they were together the rest of the night, and they actually started dancing even as the rest of the group returned home. It did move really fast. Um, I guess it was about a week before I met him. Um, And by then, they were already talking about moving in together. Um, They did eventually move in together. They got an apartment at Briarcliff Apartments. Um, I was living with my grandmother. I had lived with my grandmother for about six years already, or maybe five years. Um, so I did not live with my mother. My mother had been living with us. Uh, my mother had a troubled past, so she was trying to get back to where she needed to be. And when I met him, I was like, mm-hmm, you know, huh, wow, another Casanova, you know, <laughs> somebody else to sweep her off her feet and then let her down. You know, I wasn't very fond of anybody she brought home because of the circumstances we had been in with prior relationships of hers. And I was just like, okay, you know, we'll see how this one goes. And I mean, but when I talk, started talking to him and stuff, I was like, oh, wow, you know, maybe he is different. Maybe he, you know, is going to change the situation for her and love her the way she deserves to be. So Linda was a divorced mother of two children. And Linda's mom, Carol, said that, quote, Linda's eyes lit up when she talked about him, like she'd never talked about anybody in her life. And, you know, even Linda's mom could see Glenn's appeal. And she said, quote, you don't say a man is beautiful, but he is beautiful. And charm, that isn't the word. He hugged me and told me, you're the prettiest mother and grandmother I've ever seen. And he just made me feel so good. My mom, she had long red hair. Her hair... I never remember her ever cutting her hair. Her hair was so long. The prettiest shade of red you would see. I mean, she just had gorgeous red hair. Um, She was real vibrant and bubbly. I mean, she very rarely, unless she had a reason, was in a bad mood. Um, She was always, I guess, chipper, happy. I mean, she'd make you laugh. I mean, 
she always had something funny to say or um, just she'd look at you in, in a way and you hey, laughed. She was always happy for the most part. I mean, I remember breakfasts she would cook. Breakfast almost every morning, and her specialty was homemade buttermilk biscuits. Um, I mean, the size of softballs. I mean, they were huge. Um, she loved to cook. I remember we. She was always outside gardening. Um, she would always have me out there with her, teaching me how to do stuff. So I'm sure you're all wondering, what is the deal with this mysterious, blonde, rugged, sort of Western-vibed stranger? Because as I've read and seen, he likes to wear cowboy boots. He likes the big buckles. Like, you have to picture him at this Mississippi State Fair, decked to the nines, like a Western mystery. Marlboro Man. Marlboro Man. So Linda and Glenn met on October 9th, that night at the fair. And then four days later on October 12th, Linda called her mother and asked her to meet her at the Sun and Sand Motel in downtown Jackson. Once her mom arrived, Linda introduced her to Glenn. And before introducing them, she said, quote, you will just love him to death. He's precious. I found the love of my life. So sweet. Um, Glenn came down and shook her hand and he introduced himself. And from that point forward, the two were absolutely inseparable. So... Glenn was 33 years old, and he was from Ohio. And he was actually in Jackson working on a construction crew, building a new Olive Garden restaurant in the area. Interesting. So Glenn had kind of lived all over the place. He had just come from California. He was living in Los Angeles. He was charming. And he had this interesting sort of allure about him, especially to Linda, who was kind of like a smaller town gal. And he was described as having this incredible charisma. He was caring, and he really doted over Linda and showered her with gifts, compliments, sweeping her off her feet. To me, he had the long hair, blonde. I mean, he was nice for looking for her. Um, he was a nice guy. I mean, he was sweet. He like a smooth talker. He knew what to say, and he was never rude or um had a bad mouth or anything. He was always very courteous and spoke like he had knowledge and common sense. And he had done bought my mom a car. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, there's a word for that. There's a, or love- there's a term term for that. There's a term and it's happened to me and I know it's happened to Jacqueline. It's a love bomb. Yeah. He's love bombing. He meets her. He wants to move in. He gets her hyper commitment. Immediately. Buying somebody a car within the first month of knowing them? That's nuts. I think just commitment in the first couple weeks is nuts. Yeah. You know, like, why? What did they do to earn it? What did, nobody can respect if you didn't at least have to build a little bit. Yeah. So four days later, on October 16th, Linda rented a two-bedroom apartment for her and Glenn to live at the Briarcliff Apartments, which is on the north side of town. So they're going all in. They're putting their chips all at the center of the table. She introduces Glenn to all of her family members, and that includes dinner at Linda's mother's kitchen table and also getting to know her 14-year-old daughter, Crystal. And they seem happy. Linda was in this romantic whirlwind that she felt like she deserved to be in. She had been through a lot, and now finally... After all of those hardships, it seemed like everything was coming together. My real father had committed suicide when I was a year old. He was a war veteran, and it had messed him up. So my mama dealt with a lot of issues from my father committing suicide. But she never really let it show. She was always there. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's 
murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. So here's the living situation that was occurring, because you're probably wondering why the 14-year-old daughter and Crystal also had a sibling, why they weren't living with their mother as she's moving in with Glenn. So prior to Glenn coming into the picture, Linda was living with her mother and with Crystal. And Linda had been going through some things because she'd been through a ton of trauma. So she was kind of figuring her things out and getting life back on track. She meets Glenn. She moves in with Glenn. It didn't really make sense to uproot Crystal and move her out of our room and, and, and move her in with Glenn, this new relationship. So she stayed living with Carol, who was Linda's mother and Crystal's grandmother. And they all lived really close to each other. They had two other cousins, for example, where Linda was living in this area, in apartment buildings in front of and behind where Linda was living. Cousins lived there. The mom lived right up the street, the grandma. Like this was very tight. It wasn't like they were living on opposite sides of town. Sunday night, my grandmother had taken me to my mother's house after church and we were talking. Me and my mom had had a bit of a argument. Um, I was wanting her to come pick me up and take me to school that week so I didn't have to ride the bus. Monday morning she was there to pick me up for school and took me to school. And we talked it out and we, you know, I apologized for the way I acted. And then she told me, well, I'll be to pick you up in the morning from school for school. And, you know, I'll see you then. I'm going to my job interview. Talk to you later. Love you. So forth. Linda spent the day with her other sister, Marilyn, and she came over with her husband and they spent some quality time together that day. And at some point, Glenn came over and the group decided to go to the Sportsman's Lounge on Highway 80 in Jackson. 
So on this night, the 30th, another strange thing happens. They're at the lounge, they're hanging out, they're drinking, and Glenn overhears Linda telling her sister Marilyn that she loved her. And he interrupted their conversation, and he interge- he, he said, don't be telling her that. And Linda replied to him, Glenn, I'm always telling my sister that. The two sisters then went to the bathroom, and Linda started crying in the bathroom. So... This isn't good. There's trouble in paradise. What a strange, controlling thing to do. What a strange thing to do. Yeah. So, Glenn and Linda, they appear to having one of those, it's all happening in one week type of things. Mm -hmm. Super intense. Maybe this was part of it. Uh, Maybe it was just going to flame out. It was just like, boom, and that's it. But this is what was going on. Then, only. Monday night before all this happened, her and my Aunt Marilyn and my Uncle Charles had went out to a bar drinking, um, and Glenn had gotten on the phone and made a phone call on the payphone, and my mother and my aunt had went to the bathroom, and my mom told my aunt, said, I need to talk to you. I can't talk to you right now, though, because I found out some things about Glenn, and I'm scared. She said, I need to come to your house tomorrow, and we talk. I need help figuring out something. Well, about that time, they heard banging on the bathroom door, and the bathroom door slam open, and there's Glenn, and grabs my mother and tells my aunt, take us home now. And my aunt's like, Glenn, calm down. You know, what's going on? He said, I said, take us home now. My aunt said, okay, you know, I'll take y'all home. Um, she she just figured that he had gotten upset about something. Maybe the phone call had gotten him upset, so she drove them home. And they get out of the car, and he turns around and looks back through the door and says, you'll be next. She said, okay, he's just drunk. You know, he's... He, he's just lost it. He, maybe he gets that way when he's drunk. She had never seen him drunk before. So the next day is Halloween, and Linda told Crystal that she would be there at her mother's house, Crystal's grandmother's house, at Carol's house, to pick her up and drive her to school that morning. Tuesday morning rolled around. It was Halloween day. And I get up, get ready for school. I'm waiting my grandma's like, well, you, you know, your mama's not here yet. You might have to go on and get in the bus. I'm going to give her a few more minutes. She'll be here. And I waited and waited. Finally, it's like, my grandma goes, you don't miss the bus. I'm going to have to go ahead and take you to school. So she went ahead and took me to school. We get home, and I asked my grandma, I was like, you know, did my mama ever come by here? She's like, no, I haven't seen her, babe. So even though Linda didn't show up to drive Crystal to school, no one really thought this was a catastrophe. It wasn't that big of a deal. There was a daily bus. And also, the school was down the street. Carol could just easily drive Crystal to school. So it wasn't the end of the world. It was the 90s. It's not like you could text someone and say they were running late. Crystal just got to school. And she figured that she was going to turn up. And plus, Crystal was going to see her mom that night for Halloween because... Linda's family was going to bring all the kids over to Linda's complex to trick or treat because obviously it was one of those places where you can hit a lot of places over and over again and get a lot of lot of candy. Yeah, and you can tell that just based on what they said about the fair and that they have cousins living on other like yeah. all sides of each other. It's like they had a big family. Mm-hmm. They were tight knit and there was a bunch of them and they would congregate and yep. make sort of every holiday yep. a celebration. So we're going to go to Linda's complex. There's a lot of you can hit a lot of houses. You're going to get a lot of candy. So the plan was for everybody to meet there and to just make an event out of it. But Linda's sisters arrive to go and they, and with their kids to trick or treat, but Linda's still not there. Linda's mother comes up to the house with Crystal, and they could see through the window, and they looked at the curtain to the shower, and the curtain to the shower was actually pulled closed. And for Linda's mother, this seemed odd, because she thought to herself that like Linda cleaned houses a lot, and she would always leave that bathroom curtain pulled back. 
And I think we know what we're talking about here. It's just like you don't leave the curtain closed because, A, if you listen to a lot of true crime, you know that like you don't never want that closed because there could be somebody behind there. But you just leave it open. Right. And I think I saw another interview with her where she described Linda as an immaculate housekeeper Mm -hmm. where it's like there wasn't a speck. There wasn't anything hiding in the shower. It was spotless. So she would have no problem leaving it open. So I get ready and I go with family trick-or-treating. Well, I had a, I had a nephew that we wanted to take by there and by her apartment because she always loved to see him dressed up and stuff. So we went by there, knocked on her door. There was no answer. Um, we looked through the windows, banged on the door, nothing, no answer. So we left. And nobody becomes terribly alarmed. Remember, this is the 90s. There's no cell phones. You're not texting all the time. People aren't constantly in touch as they are today. So nobody's, you know, alarm bells were going off. Plans change. Not a big deal. Glenn's truck wasn't there. And no one answered when she banged on the door. It was very out of character for Linda to just completely flake with no communication. But I don't know, you know, maybe something unexpected had come up. Yeah, and thought maybe... She was out running errands or something. We couldn't figure it out. I mean, we didn't know what she was doing. Wednesday, we went by there. Still no answer. I actually had a cousin that lived in a a different apartment complex behind her. He said he had not seen her. Then I had another cousin that lived across the way in an apartment complex. They said they had not seen her. We went by there Wednesday. We went by there Thursday. And Friday, we went by there. Um, On Thursday night, my aunt said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and try to pry open this window and go on in and see if I can find her. Well, she got something. I I think it was a screwdriver or something to try to pry, and she couldn't get the window open. So she's like, well, we'll, you know, we'll just wait. We'll come back tomorrow. On Friday, we actually went back, and my grandmother talked to the landlord and she's like you know we haven't heard from linda we need to go in her apartment and see if there's anything that leads us to where she might be so we can't find glenn we haven't talked to either one of them so by the time somebody was let into the apartment to check on things it was november 3rd well across the hall lived the maintenance man and he was actually his son was good friends with my brother, so he said, you know, if y'all will get the cops here, we will let y'all in. You know, we will let the cops, I will open the door for the cops to get in. So my grandma said, okay, we'll call the cops. So she called and got the officers to come out, and he let the officer in. And we kind of stood by the door of the apartment and stood on the stairs so that, you know, we'd be there. Well, the cop goes in, and we there were some family members um, looking through the bedroom window where the blinds were open, watching the police officer go through the apartment. And you can see he went through the living room into the kitchen, and then he came back and went through the hall and went into the master bedroom, and that's where you know they were looking in. And then you could he went out and went into the guest bedroom. And then last, he went into the bathroom. And um, the cop comes out, and he looks at my grandmother, and he is pale as a ghost. And he said, Mom, she's in there, and it's bad. And the world just fell apart. I mean. And as Crystal said, somebody who worked maintenance allowed the police to go inside Linda and Glenn's apartment. And what they found was a brutal brutal crime scene. Linda had been stabbed to death and her body was left in the bathtub and there was a washcloth over her face. There were peculiar things at the scene. There was a bloody mop in the kitchen sink, bloody paper towels in the garbage can, and blood smeared on the floor as if someone had attempted to clean it up but that abandoned the job halfway through after realizing their efforts were useless. Then, the apartment was also described by police as being in disarray, with cassette tapes 
beer cans, and ashtrays full of cigarette butts scattered on the floor. There were blood smears on the kitchen floor and garbage can that contained bloody paper towels as well. And there was another chilling discovery at the scene. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French, and it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten, and I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Aloe Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Aloe Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to Aloe Moves com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. So Linda is in the bathroom and on the mirror in the bathroom in red lipstick are written the words, Glenn, we found you. She's in the bathtub nude. She's on her back. She has several stab wounds. She had two stab wounds under her right breast, one stab wound above her right breast, one stab wound on her right side just below the armpit, and one stab wound to her right shoulder blade area. So Linda is gone. She's dead. And her new boyfriend is nowhere to be found. All you can think of is what happened what you know we didn't know the extent of it and the cops like well y'all got to get out of here we've got to rope off the area and we're going to need everybody to go to a one area so we can question everybody you know it's a homicide scene so we have to get everything done in um Red lipstick on the bathroom mirror was, Glenn, we found you. thought, well, maybe, you know, what does this mean, Glenn, we found you? You know, and we were like, if it wasn't Glenn, why isn't he here with us to console us, to get us through this? Why isn't he here? Where is he at? The brutality of the crime obviously shocked the police and their investigation started with who was closest to Linda. That was obviously her family. And they were working to rule certain people out. They had to consider what was written on that mirror and lipstick 
was somebody after Glenn or did he do this and wrote that on the mirror as this kind of rose? So they decide to call police departments in neighboring states to see if there are any crimes with similar MOs. And as the police work on the case, Linda's family was grieving and started planning her memorial service for Linda. My grandmother and aunt set up everything for the funeral. I think that was the hardest part of everything. Um, my grandmother was shielding me from everything. Um, she didn't want anybody to tell me the severity of the wounds the, that my mom had gotten. She goes and plans the funeral, and I guess this was giving her no choice but to tell me a little bit about it. So she come to me and she's like, you know, they've asked if we want a closed or open casket. I said, well, I, you know, I want to be able to see my mother. I want to, you know, see her one time before we have to lay her to rest. I just need to know that it's her. I guess I was in denial. And she said, well, I need to tell you that we're going to have, you can't, we can't we're going to have to find certain things for her to wear. She can't just wear an average, normal dress. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, there's so many defensive wounds that she has a full cast on. Um, it's like a cast that you would put on your arm if you break it, but it goes all the way up to her top of her throat, almost to her chin, well, it touched her chin, and it's going to go down past her wrist. Uh, and it will go down. You will be able to feel it no matter where you touch, you know, touch her. I knew he had stabbed her, but I didn't know the extent of the stab wounds. And she said, well, the wounds are so deep that there's really not much they could do. She had been laying there for numerous days. Um, it comes down to the time to actually go in and view my mother. Um, we all go in and I, I had to wait. I wasn't, I had to mentally prepare myself. Finally go in there and it was, it was horrible. It was devastating. You could tell that her face had black marks, bruises, and, um, we, of course, I wouldn't, once I got there, I would not leave. Um, and within an hour, we noticed stuff, and I asked my grandmother, I said, what's going on? She said, let me go get the funeral director, um, see what's going on. And he came in, he said, we're going to have to close the casket. Because of her wounds being as severe as they were, the embalming fluid was coming out where it could that was that was one of the hardest things it was becoming pretty glaring to the police that glenn was now their prime suspect the public was quickly alerted to the threat of this killer on the loose which is absolutely terrifying he comes across as trustworthy intelligent a bit pushy but most of all pretty damn normal and they say they don't know what triggers the other side of rogers which is the scariest thing of it all we kind of knew it was Glenn, but after we started, the detective started asking questions, and they wanted to know this and that and the other. It all fell into place. Um, things that we didn't take as signs started popping out like a sore thumb. Things that he said, things that he did, things that were seen, it all came into perspective of he has killed my mother. I mean, there's no other explanation. There's nobody else that could have done it. After the viewing portion of the service, but before the funeral service itself took place, Crystal and her grandma, Carol, went home to sort of regroup. When they were there, all of a sudden the phone rang. And when she picked up the phone... A male voice on the line said, Is this Linda's mother? Yes, it is. 
I'm Glenn's brother. I'm looking for Glenn Rogers. We're looking for him too. Why? My daughter has ended up dead. I want to know where he is. I'm not surprised that your daughter is dead because anybody that has been around Glenn for the last seven years has ended up dead. What? What are you doing? Why are you calling me? Your fucking daughter is dead, isn't she? So the voice on the line is one that Carol recognized. We go home after the viewing and my grandmother receives a phone call. She, on the phone call, she asked and she said, Glenn, where are you at? Why did you leave us? You know, and that's when he kept saying, don't say anything. You will be watched. He tried to play it off that it wasn't him, that was his brother that made the phone call. But my grandmother, we knew his voice, that was him. He's telling us that if we speak to anybody, he will make sure that we're all killed. That he will be watching us at the funeral and that we are not to say anything, do anything. We are to just watch ourselves. Well, of course, my grandmother gets the cops involved and tells them, hey, look, we need security at this funeral. We're being watched. We're, you know, being threatened. So we get the security and we bury my mother. Not, not like we don't have enough to worry about. Now we have to, to worry about our family as well as being threatened. The phones start ringing with calls from investigators in other states where young women had been killed in the same way. Police agencies from all over the United States and Canada were calling and inquiring about this individual. They had unsolved murderers they were trying to connect him to. And they did connect him to them. About this time, we get home from the funeral, and we get a call. My grandmother gets called. There's another person found that has ties to Glenn. She was found in Tampa, Florida. So we're thinking, oh gosh, you know, what is going on? Here's another victim. Um, I guess it wasn't even a day later, my grandmother gets another call that there was a victim in California a month prior. So one call after the next came in to the Jackson, Mississippi police. There were female victims, one after the next, all in their 30s, all single, and each having beautiful red hair, just like Linda Price. They believed that Glenn Rogers could actually be a serial killer. Um, we were terrified. We were all afraid of everything. One, for the situation at hand, my mother had been murdered. There's this monster on the run. For nights, we would stay at my grandmother's house or we would huddle up and um, we wouldn't we would sleep with all the lights on i myself i could not be alone i wouldn't stay alone in the daytime i wouldn't stay alone at nighttime if i went in the bathroom i had to have somebody there with me for i stayed out of school for weeks um for a fear my family fearing that maybe he'd come pick me up from school somebody pick me up from school when I finally was able to go back to school, but I had someone that was following me all through the school to make sure that I was where I was supposed to be. Because we didn't know where he was at. If he was watching us, if he was planning his next move, or he was scouting out his next victim, we did not know. It was a living hell. It was a living nightmare. So the reporting about this case really kind of was out of control. The media covered it vastly. And in multiple reports, actually, though, the police stated that they were unsure as to what triggered Glenn to violence, because there were also reports of multiple relationships he'd had where it didn't escalate to murder, obviously, where there was abuse or or other things like that, but not murder. But they were about to learn something that would offer a pretty big clue. Remember the night before Linda's murder, when Glenn went to the sportsman lounge with Linda and Linda's sister and Linda's sister's husband. And there was an argument over Linda telling her sister that she loved her that night where something happened on that night. Um, and Glenn had taken a phone call, which had made him enraged. And we're going to learn what that was all about right now. Go back to the night him and my aunt and my mother and uncle went out. The phone call that was made was to his mother 
that's how he got his kicks of killing. He would call his mother, and that would put him on a rampage to murder these women. Every time he murdered a woman, before he murdered the women, he made that phone call to his mother. Yes, he, I mean, he had so much hatred for his mother, and his mother in her day was kind of a redheaded, slim-figured woman. So what does he kill slender, redheaded women? That's right. Glenn's mother had red hair, and so did his four female victims that police believed he was connected to. But Glenn, he's in the wind. But the police dig into his background, and they learn that he had actually been married, and he had two teenage kids. He was uh, 14 when his girlfriend, Deborah Ann Nix, got pregnant and had their first child in 1979. And he married Deborah, and soon they had another child in 81. The marriage fell apart because apparently he was physically abusive to her. He actually has Debbie tattooed across the knuckles on his right hand. Debbie and the kids lived in Houston, Texas, so the police are thinking that maybe he's headed to that part of the U.S. Another location the FBI had their sights on was Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton is a blue-collar city outside of Cincinnati, and it was once called Little Chicago because of all the mobster and gangster activity that used to occur there. It's now being called Little Harlem because of all of the heroin activity. But Hamilton is also where Glenn Rogers is originally from and where his family still lived. So the FBI wanted to speak to anybody who knows Glenn who may be able to shed light on where he could be and starting with his family. And the police start to unpack information about Glenn's childhood, and shocker, there are some red flags. Stories from a checkered and troubled past started to emerge, and some of the details were chilling. Glenn was from a huge family. He was the sixth sibling out of seven, and all of them suffered abuse from their mother, Edna Rogers. And like many budding serial killers, Glenn wet the bed until he was 12 years old. And it was also at 12 when Glenn began indulging in drugs and alcohol as a result to early exposure to substances by his older brother, Clay. Clay and Glenn started burglarizing homes together for money, and they were caught after robbing more than 200 homes. So this event seemed like it was directed and was pretty profound for the development of his MO. And the Radford University Psychology Department actually did a, a run-up of, of his psychological profile. Apparently, Glenn had found naked photographs of his mother, who was a redhead. After this happened, Glenn actually tried to commit suicide by taking 25 painkillers and ODing, but he didn't commit suicide. But you could see how they, you know, they, this is a profound thing based on what we're learning right now. It's like, it's a pretty big deal for Glenn. When he's a bit older, he sees his mom in a bar with a man who wasn't his father. And Glenn apparently beats him with a baseball bat. And after that, Glenn brought his father to the bar to show him what his mother was doing. And there's some more information here. So the father, it's blurry, but the father had suffered, I believe, a stroke and was sort of bedridden. And after that kind of incapacitation occurred is when the mom started to kind of do her own thing. And I think Glenn started to get a little resentful. Yeah. And then when Glenn believed that his own teenage wife was cheating, he actually follows her And he says that he witnessed her pick up a man, and she was actually a sex worker, which is something that Glenn knew before um, he married her. So after he sees this, he follows her home, and he beats her within an inch of her life. He kicks her over and over and over again in the vaginal area with his steel-toed boots to the point where she actually needed surgery to fix herself. She needed surgery because this animal did this. This animal just kicked her over and over again with these steel-toed boots. And there's other another interesting thing because this happened a couple times. He admits in the hospital 
um, at one point that he actually literally injected Budweiser, the beer, into his veins in order to get high and also used cocaine in excess. Yeah, so what Billy's saying here, and to sum it all up, is Glenn has severe problems, severe addiction. He lies, he steals, he cheats, he beats and sexually assaults women, attacks and brutalizes anyone he feels inclined to harm. And he's only getting more violent as he gets older. But at this point, I mean, you can see just a clear escalation here. And now, after what happened with Linda, we know he's a killer, for sure. And he would surely kill again if the police didn't stop him. Glenn Rogers' name was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. And as the details of the slayings came to light and more things were uncovered, you know, the name, the Casanova killer, the cross-country killer, were floated through news as he remained uncaught. And it was very reminiscent of Ted Bundy, in my opinion. Like, I, I read this stuff, and he's so similar. The state-to-state state state thing, the reinventing himself. I mean, he was just described as handsome, charismatic. I mean, he's in that sort of species yeah. of predator. There are several books out, and um, if you read one of the books, it's about the sick and twisted childhood he had, things that his mother would do, lock him, uh, tie him to the bed, and you know. And I know things like that will mess with a person's brain, and and I just I don't see. Anything that could justify killing another human being just out of cold blood, just for the hell of it, the thrill of it. I just don't see anything that could justify that. So what did we learn today? I think we're going to wait to figure out what we learned about Glenn Rogers until next week because we've only hit the tip of the iceberg. Right. And Crystal, our first degrees story is far from over. In fact, she is still dealing with Glenn Rogers to this day, decades later. And we're going to tell you all about that. She has a lot she wants to share and a lot she wants to uh, bring attention to. And there's also multiple other victims in this case. And each situation is, is more chilling than the last. And he is a serial killer that very few people have heard of. So we're very eager to share part two with you as well as deconstruct the mind of this truly horrifying psychopath. So until then, um, follow us on Instagram at The First Degree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Please write us if you are one degree away from a murder or other stranger than fiction story at hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Join our secret Facebook group. It is popping off with all things true crime. And again, enter our little giveaway to win some free first degree merch by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Um, and yeah. So on that note, remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But, but not, not that, that close. close.